Praise the Lord, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to the Church of Omaha. Welcome to everyone who is watching us online. So glad that you could join us today, and I want to get right into the Word of the Lord. I feel like Bishop this morning. I have a four-hour message that I got to preach in 40 minutes. And so I'm going to, we just finished up the book of Colossians. And so I'm going to go to the first chapter of the book of Colossians. And uh, I'm going to read from, actually, I'm going to pray verses 9 through 19 because this is actually a prayer of Paul. Uh, There's similar prayers in other epistles like Ephesians that are very powerful and good prayers to pray for not only yourself but for your family, friends, and, and fellow brothers and sisters. And so uh, beginning in verse 9, for this cause also since the day we heard it. Lord, help me not to cease to pray for the saints of the church of Omaha and desire that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that they might walk worthy of you, O Lord, unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, O God. Let them be strengthened with all might according to your glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Lord, I have trouble just being patient and long-suffering, much less doing it with joyfulness. God help me. Lord, I give you thanks, Father. Because you have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And you have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of your dear Son. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell." And so for the next 38 minutes, I'm going to speak on this subject. It's all in him. It's all in him. Uh, The letter to the church of the Colossians is one of my favorite letters of Paul. You know, there's the saying that dynamite comes in small packages, and that saying uh, aptly describes the book of Colossians. While it is relatively short in length, there is only four chapters, it is power-packed with fundamental truths that are foundational to New Testament apostolic faith and doctrine. Colossians is one of the most, if not the most, Christ-centered books in all of the Bible. Its theme of the preeminence and the superiority of Jesus Christ to all other human philosophies and teachings is both relevant and vital to the church today. If you could put that map up there uh, for me, Brother Sam. Uh, The city of Colossae was one of three cities located together in Asia Minor 
if you can see up there on the map, which is the modern-day country of Turkey. Uh, it was inland from the city of Ephesus, uh, the other two cities being Laodicea, which is, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, it's mentioned in that book, and Heropolis. Now, Colossae was built on a major road and trade route to the Far East. And because of its location, it had a very diverse and multicultural, it was a very diverse and multicultural city, much like Omaha. Uh, there were Jews, Romans, Greeks, and people from the Far East that had gathered together there because of its location on the trade route. And with the many different cultures and ethnicities, there were many different religions and philosophies that were prevalent in the city of Colossae. Now, some scholars believe that the church there in Colossae uh, was not founded by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, uh, very familiar passage of scripture. He found disciples there. Uh, they were disciples of John. He asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we don't even know anything about the Holy Ghost. So he goes, well, how were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. He said, well, that's good, but you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. He baptizes them in the name of Jesus. They he lays his hands on them. They receive the Holy Ghost. That was the founding of the church at Ephesus. Later on in that chapter, it says that Paul was there for two years. And while he was there, it says that all of Asia heard the gospel. And so a lot of scholars believe that Paul maybe did not go to Colossae because he says later uh, in the book that they had not seen him or he had not met them. So they believe that possibly a man named Epaphras, which is mentioned in chapter 1, uh, who had been converted to Christianity at Ephesus, uh, started the church. So Colossae was very likely a church plant, a daughter work, uh, so to speak, from the church of Ephesus. Now, the letter was written while Paul was on house arrest in Rome between 60 and 60 AD. And the purpose of the letter was to combat false teaching that was beginning to infiltrate the church at Colossae. The many philosophies and the religious beliefs of the different cultures were beginning to intermingle with and dilute the pure message of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these false teachings, while they did not deny who Jesus was, they had begun to minimize and to diminish his importance and supremacy. And so Paul confronts the heretical teachings by simply exalting and magnifying Jesus. You see, exalting and proclaiming the divinity and the preeminence of Jesus is not only the best way to confront and expose false doctrine, but it is the key to apostolic revival. You see, we don't need to argue with people. We just need to exalt and proclaim Jesus. You see, if we want to continue to the have and experience the revival and see the demonstration of the power and the glory of God that we've been seeing, we must boldly and unabashedly Preach and proclaim that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Now, two years ago, God began to deal with me on this. Uh, we were going to church in Ottawa at the time, and uh, Brother Kenny had asked me to preach, and so I was praying and studying about what I should preach, and like God allowed these three different things kind of to happen all in that week to, to draw my attention to 
to the fact that I, didn't, I wasn't preaching him enough. I was reading a book called Christ-Centered Preaching, uh, and I was reading the book of Acts, and I noticed that Philip and everywhere they went, they would just preach Jesus when they'd have revival. And then I was listening to uh, a message on YouTube or a podcast or something by Brother N.A. Urshan, the former general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. And he was telling a story about when he was a young evangelist. He was preaching a revival. And they were having great services, you know, worship and stuff. But no one was getting the Holy Ghost. And so he called his dad, who was A.D. Urshan, who is one of the founding members of the apostolic, oneness, apostolic Pentecostal movement in the 19th century. And he said, Dad, you know, we're, we're preaching, the Spirit's moving, you know, we're having great services, but no one's getting the Holy Ghost. And so old Brother A.D. Urshan said, well, just start preaching Jesus. He said, so I just started preaching Jesus, and guess what? <laughs> People started getting the Holy Ghost, all right? So that's the key. You see, the job of a preacher and saints alike is simply to point people to Jesus Christ. All right? Old brother G.A. Mangan, he used to illustrate it like this. I don't have two people, but let's say this is Jesus. This is truth, apostolic truth. He said, you got to hold on to Jesus with one hand and then you as far as you can to pull sinners out of sin and hell. And then once you pull them out, your job is simply to take them by the hand and put their hand in Jesus' hand. That's all we have to do. We just have to point people to Jesus Christ. In the book of Colossians, uh, Paul uses the word him, he, or himself to refer to Jesus multiple times throughout the book. He's trying to draw their attention to who Jesus is. He also uses the word all over 30 times to show that everything is centered in or revolves around Jesus. Now if we start in, I'm going to pick up in chapter 14 of the text we read. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says that in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Redemption means to release or liberate a slave or a debtor which is procured by the payment of a ransom. You see, every one of us was in bondage or slavery to sin and we were in debt to the law. Romans 6 and 23 declares that the wages or the payment for sin is death. And then Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And then in Romans 3.23, all of us are condemned for it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So each and every one of us had a debt that we could not pay. Every one of us from Adam and Eve to the present day have been guilty of violating the law of God. You see, the blood of Jesus and only his blood could make the payment for the debt of sin we owed. He was and is the only person to ever live a perfect and sinless life. For 1 Peter 2 and 22 states that he, Jesus, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. But not only is redemption in him, but forgiveness is also in Christ. 
You see, forgiveness is the canceling of a debt. If I have a loan at the bank, and for whatever reason, I can't make the payments on that loan, whether it's for my house or my car, the, the bank can either come and take that, or if they're having a really good day and feeling really generous, they can forgive the debt or cancel the debt. There's a lot of talk. A lot of people want student loan forgiveness. They want their student loans to be canceled or forgiven. So you see, Jesus, not only did he pay our debt, but he forgave and he canceled the debt. Redemption and forgiveness are in him and only in him because it's all in him. Now, getting, carrying on to the next verse, verse 15, says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Hebrews 1 and 3 says that Jesus is the express image of God, which means he is the exact image or representation of God's substance or who God is. Jesus Christ is the ultimate and complete revelation and manifestation of Almighty God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3 says that if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The only time you're ever going to see God is when you look in the face of Jesus Christ because it's all in him. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Moving on quickly. I'm like Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit. I got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. Verse 16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Hebrews 11 and 3 says that it is through faith that we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made from things which do appear. And then if you put that with John chapter 1, verses 1, that says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Hallelujah. And then verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Everything that you see or ever will see was created by Jesus and for Jesus because he is the word made flesh. Hallelujah. You see, it's all in him. Hallelujah. 
Verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Hebrews 1 and 3 also says that he, Jesus, upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything in the universe is created by Jesus and it's held together by him. Why do you think our country, society, and the world in general is falling apart and descending into chaos? Because they're trying to kick Jesus out of everything. And he is the glue that holds everything together because it's all in him. Praise God. Verse 18 says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus and Jesus alone is the head of the church. He is the founder, president, and CEO, if you will, to put it in modern day vernacular of the church. The church is built upon the revelation of who Jesus is. He's the foundation, the chief cornerstone, the head architect, and the master builder. It's all in him. It's all in Jesus. The last part of that verse says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. To have preeminence means to be first in rank or influence. It means to have precedence or priority of place. It means to be number one. Jesus is number one, all right? He's the head, all right? The Greek word there that's used is proteo. I hope I pronounced that right. It's where we get the word prototype. Prototype is the original model after which something is made. All right? Prototype. Jesus is the prototype. You see, the Bible says that Adam, the first man, was made in the image of God. And Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the prototype, not only of the human race, but of all New Testament born-again believers. He is the head. He's the prototype. He must have preeminence in our lives. If we're going to be blessed, happy, successful, Jesus has to be first in our lives. He can't just have prominence. He has to have preeminence. All right? One of the main problems with the teachings that were infiltrating the church in Colossae was not that they denied Jesus, but rather they diminished his importance and role in salvation. We cannot allow that kind of false doctrine or teaching to make its way into our church or into our individual hearts. Because those same spirits and those same false teachings and doctrines of devils are still roaming around the world today. And they're trying to infiltrate our society and even the church. You know, there's a modern philosophy that says that there is no such a thing as absolute truth. That what may be true for you is not necessarily true for me. All right? That it's your truth or or my truth, all right? 
But Jesus said in John chapter 14 and 6, he said, I am a way. I am one of the ways. No. Jesus said, I am the way, singular. He's the, as, as Andre Crouch, you say, he's the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man, he says, comes to the Father but by me. It doesn't matter what anyone says. I don't care what Oprah Winfrey says. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Because Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 says, there's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There is one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. It's all in Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, Jesus is kind of funny. He demands to either be everything or nothing. It's either all or nothing. There is no middle ground. We have a saying in Louisiana, if you straddle the fence too long, you're going to rip your britches. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. He says, you got to take up your cross. you got to be willing to die and follow me. It's everything. He's got to have preeminence. He must have first place and top priority in every area and aspect of our lives because it's all in him and it's all about him. Hurrying on. We get in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Peace and reconciliation are in him and only him. It is only through the blood of Jesus that we can have peace with God and be reconciled to him. To be reconciled is to be brought into a friendship from a state of disagreement or enmity to restore a union or relationship that has been broken. You see, sin had separated and alienated us from God and made us his enemy. But Christ's death on the cross made peace with God and restored us to fellowship and relationship with God. There's a saying that people like to use that says, no justice, no peace. But I say, no Jesus, no peace. Because without Jesus, there is no peace or no reconciliation. If we are to have peace and reconciliation, we must put Jesus back into his rightful place in our lives, in our homes, and in our world. Maybe if we would put Jesus 
and the Bible and the Word back in school, we might not have all this chaos and confusion. If we want peace in our marriages and in our homes, we've got to have Jesus there. He's got to be number one. He has to have the preeminence. He's got to be first place because it's all in Him and it's only in Him. There is no other hope. He's the only hope this world for this world. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip over to chapter 2 and begin reading in verse 1. It says that, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to draw your attention to, in verse 2, it says, the mystery of God. And for some clarification, there are several mysteries in the Bible. Uh, mystery of godliness, mystery of iniquity. But when something is called a mystery in the Bible, it is not something that is necessarily a secret or unknowable. It is just something that before was hidden or veiled, but now has been revealed. You see... There was the Eastern, ancient Eastern mystery religions and Gnosticism in the city of Colossae. And they had all this supposed esoteric or hidden knowledge that only the few enlightened ones were, were privy to. But Paul declares to them in Colossae that all of God's wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 he declared it to the church at Corinth. He said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, what I'm doing right now, <laughs> to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, all the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that all the great philosophers such as Socrates and Plato, Aristotle, Buddha, Confucius... You go on down the list. All the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that they were searching for, Paul says, is hidden in Christ. 
And he warns the Colossians in verse 4, not to be beguiled or deceived by enticing words of man's wisdom. And we need to take heed to that to ourselves today. Again, in 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 11, he says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if, he, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. In these last days of deception, we cannot allow ourselves to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but we must earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We must protect and hold on to the truths of the mighty God in Christ. Repentance, the new birth, which is water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Jesus himself declared to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We cannot and must not allow the current climate of cancel culture and political correctness to sway us or intimidate us. No matter what the world may say, it's all in him and it's only in him. Hallelujah. All right, I got to hurry. Be, verse, um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Beware, Jesus help me, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You see, Jesus is not in the Godhead. The Godhead is in Jesus. He's not the second person of some fictitious trinity. He's not one-third God. He's all God by himself. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. Malachi 2 and 10 says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? And then Jesus himself said in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 18 that the Father is not flesh and blood. But how do you reconcile that with Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that says, Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. A spirit doesn't have blood. You see, God had a problem. There was no man that could pay the price. Only he could pay the price. But he didn't have any blood. So he had to get him a body. So what did he do? He found him a little Jewish virgin that was born, that was a woman. Because he had to be the seed of a woman. She had to be from the seed of Abraham. 
She had to be from the seed of David. And God, he overshadowed her and prepared a body for himself to dwell in. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. I would not be twisting the scripture, adding to it, if I said to wit that God the Father was inside the anointed man, Jesus Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now some people say that the Godhead is a mystery, but that's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say great is the mystery of the Godhead. It says great is the mystery of godliness. The incarnation is what is a mystery. How God became a man. All right, that's the mystery, not the Godhead. Because Romans 1 and 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The Godhead is not a mystery. There's only one God. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He's got to have preeminence. He just had to get him a body to dwell in. All right? So, how does this apply to us? You say, okay, preacher, so what? What does all this got to do with us? First of all, Jesus must have preeminence in our lives. Without a doubt, without a question. He must have preeminence in our lives. Secondly, we must hold on to and protect the apostolic truth that has been handed down to us. Some people say, well, you know, you get all excited about that. and You know, people even, I've heard some apostolics say that doctrine divides. To which I say, so? God divides. Genesis chapter 1. He divides the light from the, from the darkness. He divided the waters that were above the firmament from the waters that were below the firmament. He divided the Red Sea. And when he comes back, he's going to divide the wheat from the tares and the sheep from the goats. So God is into division. Now we're not to have division in our body in the body of Christ. But God separates. He wants his people to be separated. He wants us to be different. And these two things, the oneness of God, the mighty God in Christ, and Jesus' name baptism is what separates us from everyone else. All right? Those are our two cardinal doctrines that separate us because there's a lot of people getting the Holy Ghost. God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. All right? But our view of the Godhead, the mighty God in Christ, and Jesus' name, baptism, is what separates us. And see, the Godhead is important because if you don't understand the Godhead, you get the Godhead wrong, your baptism's wrong. But when you realize that Jesus is the mighty God and there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and whatsoever you do in word or do, do all in the name of Jesus, when you get that revelation, then Jesus' name, baptism, is clear as a whistle. Right? All right. And then finally, as we close, 
Because of what Jesus has done for us and in us, we must live our lives in a way that reflects Him and brings honor and glory to Him. If you go on and read chapters 3 and 4, after Paul exalts Jesus and makes the case for who he is, he said, okay, seeing all this, keep your minds and your affections on things above. He goes in and talks about how husbands are to love and, 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 and treat their wives and wives, their husbands and children. He talks about the, uh, being, making a good example to those who are without and, and from slaves to masters. He touches every area of our lives. Because when Jesus has preeminence in your life, it's going to flow into every area of your life. Jesus just should, should not be part of just Sunday morning and Wednesday night. He's got to be preeminent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. If we'll get this revelation of who He is and we'll live our lives according to that to bring glory to Him, knowing that He's coming back one day, and I want to see Him, I want to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord Jesus. God, you're everything, God. Without you, we are nothing. We wouldn't even be here, God, if it wasn't for you. I'm so thankful that you had a perfect plan, God. That you came and robed yourself in flesh. You hung on that cross willingly, God. You suffered shame and mocking and abuse, God. You laid down your life. You shed your blood so that we could be reconciled to you, God. And God, I pray that your spirit and your anointing and the revelation of who you are would saturate our very fiber of, every, of our being, God that your spirit and love and peace would flow out of us into our friends and our co-workers and our communities, God, so that you can draw them to you, God. I want to lift you up. I want to exalt you, God, for who you is, who you are, because all glory and honor and power and might belong to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be... Dismiss, be back here at 11.20. Before you go, Sister Rebecca, do you want to come up here real quick? I think this is a good moment for this, even Brother Danny just preached, and we have just a couple minutes left, but um, you want to join me. Um, but this afternoon, Brother Danny's going to be preaching his first message in Norfolk. They're having their first preview service, and I just wanted to come on over here. I just wanted to pray with them, and if you could stretch your hands towards the front of the church. That God's anointing, his, his, his strength would be on them and be in that service. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. call on you today, oh God. Anoint this couple. God, you have put your word in him and in them, oh God. And you've given them a burden for the city of Norfolk. You brought them, God, to Nebraska. Oh Lord Jesus, reach into that service today. Reach lives, oh God. Oh, God, fall on that city. We call on you. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We'll have more prayers for them, and you'll hear much more about it from this platform, but we love them, and we're thankful for the call of God on their life. So I ask you to support them and remember them today. God bless you.